Hey guys, Jim Minnery here on, I'm glad you said that, Happy New Year. Uh, I hope that you had a wonderful celebration with you and yours. Uh, as always, we want to thank our friends, uh, John and Sandy Powers, for being sponsors, and I'm glad you said that. Super grateful to have a whole new year of discussions of folks all across the state and country, actually. Uh, might even see if we can get some... Uh, international folks on the show this year. It's been really fun. One of the the cool things about this job is that I've kind of gained a little bit of confidence in asking anybody and everybody because all they can say is no. Um, And we've been very fortunate to have quite a few people say yes, Um, including my friend Bernadette Wilson, who is now the new executive director of the Alaska Policy Forum. If you've heard of that group, the Alaska Policy Forum is part of a network, and I'm not sure if you've heard of or not, but it's the um, uh, it's a group of primarily fiscal-minded um, organizations that, in some cases, there's multiple uh, state policy networks in different states. You can go to SPN dot org and you know you click on the map it'll say directory uh and then you just choose a state you choose on alaska it highlights um and then alaska policy forum is the state that comes up um the reality is that every single state um has uh a either an affiliate which is officially partnered with the State Policy Network or a partner um, that works on similar issues. But ultimately, the State Policy Network is a group that um, is very influential across the country, and we're very blessed to have them as um, uh, part of our part of our fabric of policy sort of think tanks in Alaska. We're going to talk with... Uh, um, Bernadette in a few minutes here about a couple different things there. Um, they have taken a stand on defined benefits in Alaska, which is something that really has a lot of folks, um, concerned about. There are others that think that we are in a shortage in terms of, um, you know, attracting state employees, I'm one that would say, no, that's not the case. Uh, you know, it, it is maybe across the country at some level, but to get back to a place where we have these Cadillac plans that we can't afford um, and that hamper us, uh, you know, economically, uh, I certainly don't believe that it's a direction that we should go. And I believe that's the same with um, the state policy networks in terms of expanding or going back to these defined benefits. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about education because um, it's fortunate to have a couple different groups in the state, Alaska Family Council being one of them, um, even Americans for Prosperity, who interestingly Bernadette Wilson used to lead uh, that group as well, and now uh, they basically swapped. Bethany Markham was the executive director of Alaska Policy Forum, and now she's the executive director of Americans for Prosperity. Bernadette was the 
Americans for Prosperity director, and, and they basically just flipped um, and and took on each other's roles. And so fascinating. They're both really good friends. Very glad to have them in the state working on great issues. So we'll talk a little bit about education and are there opportunities for us as uh, as the 49th state to be able to improve the ability of kids to access education. Um, it takes a sacrifice. Certainly those that have um, financial means have an advantage over those who don't in terms of picking private schools, those who have a commitment toward homeschool education and have the ability to only have one person working, one person at home taking care of the teaching. Um, but it seems as though that should be able to bind us together um, across political lines is to say, why should it be that only these um, elite or um, specific individuals have more opportunities than others. Um, and, you know, it, it's basic, education has been politicized, unfortunately, um, in a massive way, as we all know, in terms of indoctr- indoctrination, DEI, um, you know, the LGBT um, agenda that's been... Uh, that's basically taken over public schools on many different levels. Alaska Family Council is very involved in that issue. Um, from the uh, Alaska Policy Forum's perspective, they simply they don't typically tackle these the moral side of these issues, but they see it as um, educating the uh, the a future workforce and the results that we're getting in the public schools. Uh, is anemic. I mean, the, the reality is that the the more we seem to spend on public schools, the less uh, the less um, the results are something that we desire or that we're seeking. And so, what is the answer? I, I, it's a very tough question. I'd like to think that, um, or I know that part of that equation is more opportunities for kids to be in an environment that best suits their needs. And in some cases, that might be public schools. So what can we do to increase or improve the outcomes of public schools? Um, One of the things that we'll be tackling as an organization this year is the whole DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, the acronym that has created havoc across the country in terms of quotas regarding your skin color, um, you know, discrimination on on a wide uh, variety of levels, typically against those who have conservative viewpoints or religious viewpoints. Anti-Semitic um, activities have been, uh, you know, at the forefront. If you look at what's gone on at the Ivy League schools in terms of the Harvard president recently resigning um, and the University of Penn president resigning. Berkeley, you know, those are the three uh, school presidents that were in Congress recently. Two of them that were testifying are now gone. And I would say that DEI, the diversity, um, equity and inclusion component of uh, the educational system and what they claimed um, regarding the anti-Semitic activities that occurred, that have been occurring on college campuses, is what got those two of the three fired. And so it's become a national issue in terms of many states, 
Oklahoma being the latest, that's now uh, the the president, uh, the governor, Governor Stitt of Oklahoma has recently introduced an executive order banning DEI in the state university. Their commissioner of education, or the equivalent of that, different title, has also said that in K through twelve in Oklahoma, DEI is going to be um, uh, dismantled. So I'd like to think that we can be a part of that conversation as Alaska Family Council because it certainly speaks to the issues that we address in terms of um, giving everyone a fair and equal shot in terms of their viewpoints in the society. So you know, uh, stay tuned for efforts that we'll hopefully be employing in the um, in in this year regarding dismantling of DEI. But for this show, we're going to be talking with Bernadette Wilson of Alaska Policy Forum, so you won't want to miss it. Stick around. We'll be right back here on I'm Glad You Said That. Hey guys, welcome back. Jim Minnery here with I'm Glad You Said That. I'm Really pleased to have my friend Bernadette Wilson, who's the director now of Alaska Policy Forum, on the line today. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, Jim. It's good to be with you. Yeah, really, really awesome to be able to have uh, shared, uh, actually, the New Year's Eve with you at a, a friend's place that we went to and had a wonderful New Year's Eve party, so um, yeah, there's lots going to be happening in the new year. And I guess, you know, before we get started on your new gig um, that most people probably know about that are listening now, but many probably don't as well. So um, we'll we'll get into that. But how about we just start with people um, that may not know Bernadette Wilson. Give us um, your background here um, and that has led you up to a place where you're now leading the State Policy Network. Well, you know, Jim, I was uh, born and raised here. I have pretty deep uh, family roots, you know, having, like I say, having been born and raised here. I've raised my three children here. Uh, my grandmother on my dad's side grew up in the village of Naknek, Alaska. And on my mother's side, my great uncle served as governor twice of the state of Alaska. I have a long family uh, background heritage, if you will, of entrepreneurs with various uh, businesses. And I was at 18, I will never forget, I was 18 years old, and I remember having this fight with my mom and telling her that I was going to move out of the house so no one could tell me what to do. And I will never forget, she looked at me and she said, well, then I hope you stay involved in politics because the government will always tell you what to do. And um, <laughs> I, I moved out of the house literally just a couple weeks after that conversation, and I promptly went and joined uh, the Anchorage Republican Women's Club. I got involved in campaign activities. I ended up hosting a conservative TV show, a conservative radio show, and, uh, of course, have been involved in multiple campaigns at essentially every level, I think every level, um, here in the state of Alaska, including, of course, a statewide ballot measure that I worked very closely with Alaska Family Action on and uh, served as a short time as the state director of Americans for Prosperity. And here I am now as the interim executive director with Alaska Policy Forum. So well, very so excited to be in this in this role. 
Yeah, we were just talking about that offline. I was at I was fortunate to be with my wife at the last um State Policy Network uh national convention in Chicago, which was just a blast. Um really actually fell in love with Chicago. I can't believe that I'm even saying that, but because um, you hear so many negative things. It's kinda like you know, I can't remember what I was talking to the other day about San Francisco and they were it might have been my son. Yeah, that's right. He was he drove back uh to California from Missouri where he's in grad school now and he's looking at a potential internship up in San Francisco area. And I was saying, well, what'd you think of it? You know, I mean, just waiting to hear how bad it was. And he was like, no, San Francisco's beautiful, Dad. I mean, yeah, there's really bad parts, obviously. Same in Chicago, though. We really had a great time at the State Policy Network. And there's a there's a collaboration um, that goes on between family policy councils like Alaska Family Council, Alaska Family Action, and the state policy networks that typically focus on um, fiscal issues. And you guys have established quite a name for yourself over the years, um, having, you know, led charges on um, fighting, um, you know, uh, overburdening tax policies and strengthening education, um, even, uh, you know, uh, trying to stop the uh, defined benefits program that it's rearing its ugly head against. So we we can talk a lot about different is- issues that you guys have addressed over the years, but what do you see as some of the primary issues that as you come into the leadership position that you guys want to address as the Alaska Policy Forum? Well, you know, Jim, you mentioned um, the battle to return to defined benefit. Obviously, we're looking at the cost to the state, the implications that would have on the budget. We're looking at what all of the, you know, the policies have done in other states, right, and the implications those have had on their budgets. Um, and the fact that it's not it's not solving the problem that they claim it's solving, right? They say Alaska has a retention problem. We're not seeing that Alaska has a retention problem that is unique to Alaska, right? Firefighters, police departments, they're having retention problems across the country. So this is not an issue that is unique to us, first of all. Secondly, there is simply not the research to show that a return to defined benefit helps there, right? So we're definitely concerned about that um, as we head into this session, knowing that that will be a big battle. Education is obviously, I think, at the forefront of everyone's mind. COVID really highlighted um, the income disparity and kind of the discrimination that's happening within the education system. So COVID hit, and the private schools stayed open. If you were wealthy enough to be able to afford to send your child to a private school, or if you were wealthy enough to be able to afford a private tutor, or maybe only one parent has to work, then your child came out much better than children that have been kind of shoved into this cookie-cutter corner and said, this is the only school you can go to. You know, the parents are both working. They can't afford the private school. They can't afford the 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 private tutor. And so what we're saying is, listen, it's time to open up educational opportunities for everyone. Every child should have the opportunity to attend a school that better suits their needs, whether that's a private school, whether it's a homeschooling co-op. Um, we have seen parents get very creative with different options that work 
best for their lifestyle, best for their children's learning needs. And so breaking down that barrier and saying, listen, it's time to make educational opportunities available to all students, regardless of income, regardless of the boundary line that they live in, is a huge priority. Um, and it's something that I think we should be able to get everybody on board with, right? It's, it's time to end that. We have gone so many years, Jim, and the only kids that had access to additional resources if they needed them were the children that, quite frankly, came from the wealthy families. And what we're saying is, listen, it's time to talk about these low-income kids. It's time to talk about what we can do to help them and get them out of a system that has failed them year after year after year. So Whoa. school choice um, will be, you know, that's another one. I use the term school choice. Uh, some people have certain, you know, ideas as to what that means or doesn't mean, but really what we're talking about is parents, having the option and different options to find whatever it is that better suits their children's learning needs, whether that's because of a disability or because of a, you know, specific interest in a subject or a learning style, um, different things like that. So those will definitely be a couple big issues. We also, we can talk more about that if you want, but I know um, there's also the talk of a statewide sales tax. And so we will be having lots of conversations regarding the budget in the fiscal state of Alaska. Anytime that you take money out of the pocket of the individual and you put it into the hands of government, it is never a good outcome. And that should never be done without lots of questions being asked, lots of analysis being done, and looking at, where are we? Where Where is Alaska when it comes to how much we spend? We hear this story over and over that even from legislators, well, we just can't possibly cut the budget anymore. There's no place for us to do it, yet we see over and over that we spend money on so many things, and we're like at the, at the top of the list, right, or we're near the top. So even after you adjust for the higher cost of living here, there's different areas that don't line up. Education, we were just talking about. Education is one of them, right? Um, we spend huge amounts, way more than, than several other areas of the country, yet we consistently come in in reading and math ranked at the bottom of the country. So before we take more money out of the hands of the individual and hand it over to government, we're going to have some very strong fiscal conversations as well. Well, and it's very fascinating to go to the um, the budget blocks. If you haven't done that yet, um, folks, you should go to alaskapolicyforum.org, and they have a um, an article that was written September sixth. It looks like twenty twenty three, but it it's their annual budget blocks are a, a kind of a simple visualization of how Alaska is spending its money. And, you know, the all of us know that, um, you know, education and the, the benefits regarding Medicaid, Medicare are, are enormous. But it's fascinating to be able to visualize um, how the, our state has prioritized different things. And you're right, Bernadette. It's like it's, it's always amazing to me to hear how. We've ne we've never been able, or we can't cut anymore. Um, and you know the stories are just famous in terms of 
Um, you know, one that comes to mind is there's a there's a guy I believe that is on the payroll of the University of Alaska. He teaches, um, I think, one course at the university, and he's uh, I think the lead um, uh, conductor for the symphony or something. Um, but it, it, it's a full time 150,000, all the benefits, you know, for one class. Um, and I'm, it's not to pick on one individual. It's just to say that there are enormous ways to cut the budget. It's not necessarily something that Alaska Family Council has focused on, but we certainly see that being a tax on families um, when we can't seem to um, carve down the budget that is, like you said, bigger than um, per capita almost any other state. Uh, folks, we're chatting with my good friend Bernadette Wilson at Alaska Policy Forum here, and I'm glad you said that. we got two more segments, so stick around. We'll be right back. When peace like a Welcome back, Jim Minnery, at uh, with Alaska Family Council. We are on. I'm glad you said that. So glad you're tuned in today. Happy New Year to you and yours. It's 2024. I'm very pleased to have my friend uh, Bernadette Wilson on the show today. She is now the president, executive director, leader, head honcho at Alaska Policy Forum. And um, we've partners, partnered with you guys before. I mean, we've promoted the Leadership Academy. We haven't talked about that. We, I, I'd like to, to bring that into the equation as well, because that's a, a wonderful way you guys are impacting Alaska is to be able to train the next generation of leaders. Um, we've also worked with you on encouraging um, or educating the, uh, the union members about the the reality that they do not have to be a part of the union if they in fact believe that their um, money is going towards something that they don't necessarily agree with, um, and there were some uh, some ads that we um, partnered with you guys on running. Um, I'm not sure what the the status of that is. I remember talking to Bethany, the the former executive director, about that, and I don't know if we had any numbers in terms of um, how many individuals actually. Uh, decided to to opt out of paying those union dues. But are you guys still working on that issue as well? Jim, you know, I believe so. Um, I do not have those numbers in front of me. I recently started as interim executive director, so I'm working on getting my hands on all of that information. I can definitely uh, get you that, though. Yeah, we, we were excited about just basically telling teachers and police and firemen and any public school sector union member that there are options. Um, and, you know, it's not anti-union in any way, shape, or form. I mean, there's a role for unions to play, but the reality the unions are um, very much, um, you know, active in this state, as you know, and are very influential in electing typically uh, um, liberal Democrats, and it's a shame because a lot of the, the union members that I know um, are not um, aligned with those views, but they're members of the union, and uh, and they they're proud members, but they just don't agree with 
um, the same political inclination. So um, anyway, what about well, the leadership? I'll, I'll, I'll say this on that note, Jim. You know, the unions um, very much started and were kind of founded, right, got off the ground on the idea that they would stand up for workers' rights and educate workers on what their rights were. And, you know, we, we share the sentiment with the union that it's important to educate those workers on these are what your rights are. And that's why we, you know, sharing that sentiment, that's why we feel that it's important to indeed educate them on you don't have to join the union, right? It's, it's not right to kind of cherry pick uh, which information you think you workers have should have the right to, right? It's here's the information, and now you go make the decision that best suits you and your family. And so um, it's interesting because on this particular issue, obviously we get a little bit of pushback, but that issue very much is kind of a little nucleus um, and starts with the very idea that kind of helped birth the union movement itself, right? Sharing with workers that these are your options and these are are your rights, and you don't have to join the union, right? So um, we, it's it's interesting because that has kind of come full circle. Well, yeah, I mean, my dad and my brother, they were IBW members. I mean, that's different than a public sector uh, union, but they would always tell me. You know, we always love getting those uh, those guides from our unions because we always know who not to vote for, um, and not not all because because they were very conservative um, members, which I think the majority of the folks that the, that were uh, in IBW that I knew were um, more conservative. But you know, it's one of those balancing acts between how can how can I be a part of this union that's taking care of me and um, protecting my rights and you know, advocating for my uh, salary and benefits and all that stuff. But at the same time, um, you know, keeping out all this, uh, you know, this hogwash that has to do more with social engineering and indoctrination and just social issues in general. And that kind of brings me back to the, I wanted to uh, kind of touch uh, back again on the educational side of things. In my view, I don't know if there's an answer to this. I don't want to put you on the spot, but it seems like um, because we've had, you know, I remember thinking when Betsy DeVos was, you know, the um, the educational czar under Trump, Dunleavy, we had an office who had been in the education arena his whole entire uh, pr- professional career. I felt like, wow, we're really getting close, Alaska, to having uh, educational um, choice breakthrough in terms of either – scholarships or, um, uh, you know, educational savings accounts or ideally a voucher. Um, but it seems like we never really made much progress on that. And, you know, I, I, I feel like we still are um, not at a place where the majority of kids can, as you said earlier, access these opportunities that some of those, you know, more well-to-do people have um, you know, access to in terms of private school or even homeschooling. And so what is the, what, what would you say is the answer now? And we have another, you know, couple years of a conservative Republican governor in place. We have a, a, a commissioner of education and Dina Bishop, who's an ally, I would say, um, of school choice as far as I know. Um, but what can we do? I mean, there's always, 
there's always pushback from the left, from the Dems, because of the unions and how strong the NEA is up here at fighting anything. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I have a sense that th- there's some Democrats that are on our side in terms of if it truly helps kids that um, – you know, rather than just attacking public school. That's their view of it, isn't it? Yeah, and I I mean, I think that, Jim, for so many years, the unfortunate thing is when we talked about a wider array of school, you know, educational opportunities, it was always viewed as a Republican or Democrat or left or right issue. And I think that, you know, now people are realizing very quickly that it's not a Republican or Democrat issue. It's about ending the discrimination that's going on right now um, among these kids who can't afford anything else. And we see that, like as I mentioned um, earlier, that was very much highlighted during COVID. We have students who are still struggling, students that struggle in our, in, when they're stuck into kind of this, you know, what we call the system, right, just the standard educational standard classroom that we've seen forever, that doesn't work for all kids. And more and more, I hope that people are realizing that. But, you know, we talk about what we can do. And I think that there's a, a handful of options there, right? Educational uh, educational savings accounts are one option. What we call backpack funding is another option. Learn everywhere is an option. Ultimately, it's going to take everybody and a whole swath of parents standing up and saying, listen, these are the numbers, these are the statistics, it doesn't work. And for Alaska, we're having this conversation simultaneously with other conversations. So we're having the the conversation about the education system is not working in Alaska, right? As I mentioned earlier, we're coming in, you know, bottom, 49th, 50th, 48th, and, you know, fourth grade, eighth grade, reading, math. I mean, there's all kinds of numbers that are consistently putting us at the bottom. And so as we have that conversation, we're also having a conversation about the budget. And they're saying, well, we can't cut any more. We have to have a sales tax. Well, if we can allocate Let's say, for example, it costs $100 to educate a student in Alaska, which it's not, right? I mean, you're up to tens of thousands of dollars now, depending on where you're at in the state. But let's say that it's $100. And with $75, that parent can now either opt for a charter school, a private school, a tutor, a a homeschooling pod, or anything like this. There's the opportunity to kind of kill two birds with one stone, right? We can increase educational outcomes, and we can simultaneously get this spending under control, which also addresses the sales tax issue that everyone wants to talk about. And so I think the the beauty of it right now is that we have all these conversations going on, and interestingly enough, each of them has a profound effect on the other, right? And we know that these private schools, these charter schools, they can educate kids for a fraction of the dollar what it's costing them in a traditional education system. And I I have heard people say to me, well, if you do that, then the public schools just aren't going to be able to survive and they're just going to shut down. Jim, I'll tell you what, if that public school format is working and if that student is thriving, and it is a good fit for the family, it's a good fit for the student, and they are excelling in it, 
then you're not going to lose the students. So there should be no concern there. The only reason you would lose students is if the system wasn't working. And if you well, acknowledge exactly. that at the outset, that it's not working, then shame on you for forcing that student to stay in that unsuccessful environment. You are setting them up for failure, and it's not right. Hey guys, we're speaking with uh, Bernadette Wilson with Alaska Policy Forum. We'll be right back after this short break for our last segment. Stick around. When Hey guys, welcome back. Jim Minnery here with Bernadette Wilson. We're with the Alaska Policy Forum. We were chatting about education before. It's just such a a big room that you know addressed on so many different levels. I believe, as as do you, I think Bernadette, that that we have not simply packaged this, this maybe correctly, even though it seems like we've gone out of our way to do so. It, it, it somehow hasn't resonated with a lot of Democrats. And I've always, even on the podcast back um, with an uh, individual group that has some federal legislation about school choice that they're really um, aggressively working on. We're trying to get uh, Senator Sullivan to be a co-sponsor. Um, and even Senator Murkowski might potentially 